Steelers Nation Radio and Podcast on Steelers.com. Tom Opperman, Jacob Brecht with you here on another edition of the Steelers Standard. Denver Broncos come to Heinz Field on Sunday. They are 3-1. Steelers 1-3 looking to snap a three-game losing streak. The Broncos just were handed their first loss of the year. As expected. To the Baltimore Ravens. 23-7, the final score there. Uh, in Mile High Stadium, the Broncos—they smell a little fraudish uh, at a, that three and one record. Their first four opponents are collectively five and eleven, and have a minus eighty-seven point differential. That ain't good. And well, let's keep in mind, going into this week, they were zero and nine. They were zero and nine. Both New York teams got a win, so that added to that category for the Broncos. Ravens doing some heavy lifting in that part, too, with three wins on their part. And the Broncos, of course, beat the Jacksonville Jaguars as well, who have not gotten their first win of the season to date. Them and the Lions, two jungle cats, the only two teams that haven't on which been able to win? get that first win. Uh, just in contrast, we're going to be talking about the Broncos a lot here, but the Steelers' first four opponents are collectively 12-4. and four. And have a plus 106 point differential. So it's a little bit better. They've been playing a little bit stronger of competition than the uh, Broncos have. In fact, every single one of the Steelers' opponents uh, so far only has one loss. Bills, Bengals, Raiders, and Packers. And the Bills' so one loss came against the Pittsburgh Steelers. Steelers. Exactly. And they've been on a rampage ever since. Just destroying any poor fool that has gotten in their way. <laughs> but... Yeah, night and day. Uh, obviously, the records are on opposite ends of the spectrum. Uh, one and three versus three and one, but the strength of schedule is on the opposite end of the spectrum too. So, despite the fact that they're on opposite ends standings wise, I think that the Broncos are a little bit closer to the Steelers are than what maybe the casual fan would say if you just look at mm-hmm. the standings. Yeah, I mean, we knew going into the season, the Steelers had the hardest schedule out of any NFL team. Uh, in 2021, I think it's gotten a little harder too. I think teams the like the Raiders and the Bengals. Exactly. I think, yeah. the, I think the competition is even stronger than what we anticipated. You you were looking at the beginning of the schedule to say, okay, you can go to start the season th- two and two at that first quarter. Two losses to the Bills and Packers, but two wins to the Bengals and Raiders. Right. Well, you're one and three. The one win came in a surprising fashion against the bank or the the, the, Bills. the Bills week one, but you still expected your team to say, "Okay, well now best case scenario is three and one, three and one, get rid of those easy wins against the Raiders and Bengals." Even and now two and two would have been fine, but exactly as as you said last week going into this Packers game, even if you drop one of those games, you're still sitting at five hundred and a loaded division. That's not the worst p- place to be sitting in because. There are no undefeated teams in your division. You'd only be one game back from the division leader. However, you drop both of those, and then as expected, you drop the the, the uh, Packers game. You're sitting at one and three. Certainly not where you want to be playing. We know uh, Ben Roethlisberger and Mike Tomlin in their time together in Pittsburgh don't always necessarily play their best football in the month of September. You start. We know that 
uh, a couple weeks ago, there was a lot of talk from Ben saying how I, I start slow, and it's kind of odd how we've never really heard him speak so much to that uh, up until his 18th season in the league, but thanks for letting us in on that. Finally, Big Ben. But we have seen him play really good football in the months of October and November, so you have to hope that this game against the, the Denver Broncos, not necessarily the turning point of the season, I would say, because you have so much time left, but give yourself a little momentum in, in any way you can, and I think you have to win this game. If you don't win this game against Denver, that could be already the nail in the coffin only five weeks in because following you have the Seahawks and the Browns on the road in Cleveland. The Seahawks game at home, the Browns game on the road, you can still chuck both of those up to losses. The schedule gets a little bit easier when you have the Bears and Lions coming to town, but you really don't want to fall into what? That would be a, a, a one and six hole going into those two games. That would be an insurmountable feat for the Steelers. Yeah, I, th I think if you want to keep the season alive, it's do or die this Sunday against the Denver Broncos because I think it's a very winnable game that the Steelers could get. Uh, they are facing one of the best defenses in all of football in Denver. The Steelers, as far as points per game allowed are concerned, have played the best two defenses in football to date. The Bills lead the league, allowing only 11 points per game so far. Two shutouts for them as well, so that's helping bring that average down. And the Broncos are right behind them. They've only given up 12.2 points per game. That was at like eight points per game until the Ravens game where they put up 23 on them last week. So very stout defense that the Steelers are going to be facing off against. Not only are they second in the league in points per game allowed, but they're pretty much at or near the top five in any major statistical category you can think of on the defense. There's a lot of good players on this side of the ball. Vic Fangio is one of the better defensive minds in all of football. But I think it all starts with the fact that Von Miller is back playing mm -hmm. his Hall of Fame level uh, of play for that defense. Four and a half sacks already through four games for the future Hall of Famer Von Miller, former Super Bowl MVP Von Miller. And that's the engine that drives this defense. Like I said, they've got great guys on the back end. They've got a really strong defensive line rotation that Fangs likes to use, but it's the Von Miller show when you look at that defense, and when he's playing at this high of a level, that defense is a very, very scary thing to go up against. Of course it is, and Von Miller, even though he's been in the league for now 10-plus years, he's still as scary to go up against as he was when he was a rookie. Right, 32 years old, but a lot of those little hiccups he's had the past couple years have been injury-prone, not decline in skill at all. And right now, he doesn't look to be dealing with anything Any injury si at all. significant that, that kept him out like it did last year. And when you're going up against Von Miller, recently at least, Von Miller has had the upper hand on the Steelers whenever they've played against him. Uh, obviously, last year, he wasn't available to them. But go back to 2018, when the Steelers traveled to Denver, uh, it was that last, as I think as time expired, that, that end zone interception that Ben threw. Uh, it's just mm, to the linemen. Yeah, yes. Von Von Miller and company seem to have have Ben's number when Von Miller is available to the Broncos. So definitely something you have to watch out for. But I mean, the rest of the, uh, the rest of the guys on defense, as you said, Tom, they're only averaging what twelve points allowed per game. And up until this past week, it was only eight weeks, uh, uh, eight points per week allowed. 
I mean, that's that is a good defense. I don't care if you're playing bad teams in Jacksonville and the Jets and Giants. They're still capable of putting up points, and you didn't allow that. You took care of business. And they did go up against a really good offense last week against the Baltimore Ravens. I know they have a lot of injury problems, especially in the running game, but that's still a tough offense to face, and – they did give up 23 points at home, but that's you, not an absurd amount of points in 2021's NFL. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a pretty decent effort. And I think the biggest thing that they did against the Ravens was they were really close. In fact, probably should have broken their streak of 100 consecutive games. Had or, John or Harbaugh of, not get a little bit greedy. Of games with 100 rushing yards, at least. The streak is at 75. That is tied right now with the Steelers of the 70s. So Ravens looking to pass their arch rival in that category this week coming up. But against the Colts on Monday Night Football, they have the potential to break that record. But... The Broncos had them at 99 yards until a three-yard run by Lamar Jackson in garbage time. Very similar to Big Ben throwing it out to A.B. to keep five catches, 50 yards going. It's the same thing that the Ravens did here. But I know that they got 100 yards, and as we move forward, no one will remember that the Broncos almost broke that streak. But as we are looking at the Broncos closely here, the fact that they only let up 102 rushing yards on the ground to the Ravens, the fact that it took that last play to get that 100-yard and keep that streak going, that's a testament again to how good this this Broncos defense is. I mean, how prolific of a rushing offense is the Ravens when you've rushed for 100 yards in 75 straight games and the fact that you needed some kind of you know, risky play at the end in order to just keep that streak alive shows you that this Denver defense means business. Stopping the run, playing the pass, not letting teams in the end zone. It's it's like I said at the top of the episode. Every real conceivable statistical category, Denver's at or near the top five in. They are, and you take away that big splash play. I know it's <clears throat> a little cheap to do that with the hypotheticals here, but you take away that splash play, that 50-yard touchdown pass to, to Marquise Brown. You keep you keep um, Lamar Jackson under 300 yards passing, which I get that he doesn't really do that anyways. It, it's it's pretty common for him to do, but your defense does a good job of keeping that offense as a whole, the pass and the run game in check. Well, moving beyond Von Miller and the defense as a whole, you know, we, the safeties are just outstanding, led mm-hmm. by Justin Simmons. Uh, Matt Williamson on the advanced scout that we were doing the other night said, no one uses their safeties in a more unique way than Fangs either. The, the Fangs defense is a bit of a, a, an odd one, honestly, because what he likes to do is he likes to dare the offense to run the ball, and then he does a great job at disguising coverages. He likes to bring his safeties up, making it seem like they're going to do something near the line of scrimmage, then drop them back into his own coverage. Uh, it's just a very unique and newish kind of defense that is – all of a sudden starting to be picked up by teams like the Rams and the Chargers around the league. So Vic Fangio is going to throw a lot of different things, a lot of complicated things at Ben Roethlisberger and this offense. And it starts with the way he utilizes those safeties, especially Justin Simmons, who in a lot of people's minds in the NFL 100, he was ranked a little higher than Minka. I don't think I would put him higher than Minka right now. But the debate is able to be had. That's how good Justin Simmons is. Through the 2021 season so far, it's a fair conversation to have because Minka, I think he's making his presence be felt, but Justin Simmons is actually executing and, and making a significant difference. The difference that you, you're used to seeing Minka Fitzpatrick make. 
Yeah, and like I said, maybe that has a little bit to do with the defense around Simmons being a lot better. Well, not a lot better. I would say the secondary around Simmons is better than the Steelers' secondary is right now around uh, Minka. So maybe that helps out with it too. And look, I think Butler's a really good defensive coordinator, and Tomlin's obviously a defensive mind. I think Fangio's just at a different level as far as calling a defense is concerned. I don't know if he's a good head coach yet. I think the jury's still out there with Fangs, but I, I do he's know that a, a defensive. Guru. I, I do know this: he will have a job as a defensive coordinator until he decides not to in the NFL. Any team would be lucky to have him calling mm-hmm. their defense. You don't think so? No, no. I'm saying maybe is the Keith Butler era run its course. See, I think Keith Butler is also one of the most underrated defensive coordinators in football. I I think he's a really good uh, coordinator, and I I don't know if you really make that move, but I'm just saying Fangs is at a different level. I don't think you make make the move either. Fangs is at a different level, though, and that's it's going to be tough for Ben Roethlisberger to try to read that defense and all the different things that he's going to throw to. Well, especially when he's making his normal reads, I think a guy like Vic Fangio is going to be able to have a master class at planning around that. One thing that might help the Steelers out, Patrick Sertain, the cornerback that the Broncos took this year in the draft, he is questionable to play in this game against the Steelers. He left the game last week against mm-hmm. the Baltimore Ravens, did not return. They're optimistic in Denver that he'll play. Uh, when you leave a game and don't come back, though, there's always a little bit of doubt that you'll be ready to go in just seven days. But it looks like right now the plan is that Sertain will play. He is opposite of Kyle Fuller. Uh, Kareem Jackson is the other safety that makes up that Secondary, uh, look, Fuller and Sertain are really, really good cornerbacks. Really? And that's why I think Justin Simmons, kind of what you said, is being able to have his impact felt more than Aminka is, is that you can trust a Fuller and a Sertain to just take their guys and be solid in coverage that you can kind of freelance a little bit if you're Justin Simmons. I don't think Sutton and Hayden have been bad by any stretch of the imagination. I just don't think they've been as good as that pair, and therefore it makes well, Mink, it makes Minka have to play center just because field because that pair I think right now is one of the better ones. Whatever, I'm just speaking facts, man. No, I mean I agree. I mean I think Joe Hayden is. I mean Joe Hayden could have had the play of the week last last week. I think he's playing well this year though. I no, I I agree too. I'm saying he could have had the play of the week last he week could've. had it not been for the referees getting a little flag happy and, and throwing throwing the laundry out there when they there was really no need to uh but yeah i mean i agree i think he's having a good year camp sutton is the one who i not question but it's the one i'm a little disappointed with between the two of them well sutton's inconsistent he makes good plays and you don't hear from him for a while but then he does get burned every once in a while i don't think i remember a time when hayden's been burned this year i really no, don't, i don't think he i has. don't think it's happened i don't think he has either uh it was james pierre who got beat on either the henry ruggs touchdown or the um, Jamar Chase was Jamar James Chase. Pierre. Henry was Ruggs Jamar Chase. was uh, Witherspoon. Witherspoon, yeah. right. So you've seen other guys get burned, but you haven't seen it from Joe Hayden. No, I, I think Hayden's been solid. I don't know if it's solid enough to work on that contract no. extension it just was, yet. It was, now that it's coming back to me, it was Terrell Edmonds who got burned on the uh, first of the two Randall Cobb touchdowns uh, this past Sunday. So, yeah, it hasn't been Joe Hayden. What's interesting to me, though, is we just talked up this Denver secondary. So you'd think, you know what? Teams would avoid throwing the ball downfield against them. You can't beat the Broncos that way. 
That's exactly the opposite of what the Ravens <laughs> decided to do. Lamar Jackson's average depth of target last week against the Broncos was 12.7 yards down the field. That's extremely high in the NFL. Clearly, the game plan that the Ravens had was to attack this Denver defense deep down the field. I don't know how that was surmised with such great corner play and safety play, but it and worked. You, and you pair with a great running offense that the, but it the, worked. that the Ravens have at their disposal. So maybe there is something to it. Maybe they can be had deep down the field. Steelers fans, though, I wouldn't hold your breath because Ben Roethlisberger's average depth of target to this point is 6.7. So yeah, it's, it's pretty it's, much it's, half it's, of what Lamar was doing last week. It's very Steelers-esque to go out, have your first scoring drive of the game come in, in such a ridiculous fashion to get your first first quarter points to get your first first drive points in however many games it took and then you put up 10 points for the rest of the game seven of which came in in garbage time seven of which came in the depths of the fourth quarter so, so maybe it, it, it just, you got your hopes up for the first five minutes or so of that game and then it just they brought you right back to reality with Basically nothing. So maybe you can't attack them deep down the field just because quarterback isn't able to do that at his seasoned age, or maybe the Broncos will adjust to that and become more stout on the back end than they were against the, the Ravens. But you're not going to find much leeway trying to run the ball on this defensive line either. Uh, Denver only has surrendered 70 yards on the ground per game, fifth best in the league so far. And like we mentioned, they almost snapped the Ravens' impressive streak of consecutive 100-yard games last week. So they're a good defense as far as stopping the run is concerned. And I think a big part of that is Fangio loves to rotate their deep defensive line. So fresh bodies in there constantly. Expect them to be just as uh, fresh in the fourth quarter as they are in the first quarter. That's how Fangs likes to do it. And I think that helps a lot in keeping that running game at bay for the entirety of a football game. They don't get worn down by a running attack because they're moving bodies in and out like a, a revolving door, and they're adequate bodies. It's not like they're they're stretching mm -hmm. for you know a backup to give them a play or two to try to help some guy get a blow. No, you can throw in those second-string guys for almost a full series and they're expect them to get the job done. So very deep defensive line that Fangio likes to utilize a, a lot of different pieces on and it leads to them having a really stout running game. Just when you saw the Steelers start to get a little bit of traction against the Packers in that running game, their best rush defense to date is coming into Heinz Field. Yeah, I'd say so. It's <clears throat> and Which is frustrating because you just saw the offensive line, even though it's a small sample size, and even though the sample size you have available to you hasn't been super promising. So any glimmer of hope you're going to latch on to, they just had their best, and I use the, the air quotes here, best game this season, and now you're going up against the best running defense you'll, you'll be pay, playing so far. That's not going to be easy to adjust to because, as you said, Tom, I think they're, they're fifth in the league right now in rushing defense, Denver is, and with your ongoing struggles already, that is not going to pair well for a a a good day for Najee Harris. Before we touch on the offense a little bit, you think Denver's getting a little frustrated with Bradley Chubb. I know it's not anything he's doing wrong, but he's just not able to stay available. He has not been able to stay healthy, which is frustrating because I think people were looking at Bradley Chubb to kind of be that torchbearer that Von Miller was going to hand off to as 
Von Miller ended or reached the end of his career. Bradley Chubb was just starting his. Yeah, but they were going to do a little David Robinson, Tim Duncan kind of thing for no, a while. No, I, I agree. That. I mean, that's one what, two punch. That's what they have been doing for the past or tried to trying to do for the past. When three Chubb's years. healthy, Miller's out, and when Miller's healthy, Chubb's out. So they can't get. I mean, him on Bradley the field Chubb the had time. a great rookie season. I think he had eleven sacks or something. No, like that. No, his talent is still there. He it's just, just he has not been able to stay available since that rookie season. That was the only time he played. Anything close to a full season. And I, that's why I think it has to be frustrating because, you know, Denver, they won that Super Bowl. Defense is outstanding. Uh, they get a pick in the top five, I believe it was. At the very worst, it was a top ten pick. So you're, you're thinking, wow, this is rare. After winning a Super Bowl so recently that we're picking this high in the draft, let's get a game-breaker like Bradley Chubb. We could have two Vaughn Millers on our defense now. And when, they did. And they did, but it's just the availability has eluded Bradley Chubb. He's not done yet this year. He's on IR, so he won't play in this game, but there's a chance he still comes back for Denver. Uh, and if they're still in the race later in the year, maybe he is what pushes them over the top and gets them into that playoff uh, number seven spot. Wouldn't hold your breath on that, though. But I would love to see, for the the sake of Bradley Chubb and a young guy trying to get his career really on the right trajectory, him get healthy and him be able to play a couple games this season. Yeah, you'd like to see him be able to play with Vaughn Miller. You'd yeah, like to see as that a football defense. fan, it'd be fun yeah. to watch. But uh, alas, we have not seen. I that. mean, that's what you saw in Denver the year that they won their Super Bowl with Peyton Manning. It was a, uh, it was a uh, Demarcus Ware, and it was Vaughn Miller playing to get together. And that defense really took off. Even though Vaughn Miller was an elite defender, that defense became the best in the league when they acquired Demarcus Ware. Offensively, what the Steelers are looking at from Denver is not an overwhelming offense. They only score 20.8 points per game, and a lot of that came against bad teams. They only scored seven points against the Baltimore Ravens last week at home. Uh, the big key with this offense is they are an extremely banged-up side of the football. Uh, a lot of receivers are injured or on IR, but the big one heading into this week is Teddy Bridgewater's status. Got a concussion against the Ravens, had to leave the game. Drew Locke came in and finished the football game. Uh, in the concussion protocol, as we sit here speaking right now, is Teddy Bridgewater. Obviously, concussions are a tricky thing. You can get over a concussion in two days, or you can get over a concussion in two weeks. It is just a fluid situation and unique to the individual. As of right now, they're not ready to rule him out just yet. But if I were a betting man, Jacob, which I am, I would say that it's going to be Drew Locke this Sunday and not Teddy Bridgewater. You are. I am not. That's been proven so far with our triple play. However, I you would— You do agree with me on that. I would side with you. It does not seem like Teddy's going to be available. And maybe not the worst thing to happen for the Pittsburgh Steelers fans because they're very familiar with Drew Locke. I mean, Drew Locke had to come in and— uh, start that game, and he was taken out very early on. I'm blanking on the guy who took over for him. Uh, last year? Yeah. Uh, I don't know, but I know that it was Bud Dupree who knocked him out of the game. It was Bud Dupree. and It was a combination of Bud Dupree and T.J. Watt who got to him. But they were able to keep Drew Locke in check, and I think it was the guy who, again, it's, it's, it's bad that we don't remember his name. No, it's not. It doesn't matter. He's gone. He's gone. He's gone now, but... That guy had a better game than Drew Locke was having until Drew Locke went out. Drew so. Locke is very streaky. Very streaky. Mm -hmm. And honestly, it's night and day what Teddy Bridgewater brings to the table and what Drew Locke brings to the table. Teddy Bridgewater is – the reason why Teddy Bridgewater won this job, I think, is because he's the perfect type of quarterback for what this Denver offense is trying to achieve, and that's ball possession and running the football and not turning the ball over. Uh, they possess the ball 34 
minutes and 10 seconds on average every single game. Only the Panthers and the Browns hold on to the ball more than the Denver Broncos do. A big part of that is Teddy Bridgewater, five touchdowns, no interceptions to start the season. So he goes out against the Ravens, and what does Drew Locke do in a little bit of a half, a half and some change of football? He throws an interception. Throws an interception. So as Teddy Bridgewater is the game manager, not going to take any risks, not going to turn the ball over, really going to possess that football, help the defense win football games kind of guy. Drew Locke's the opposite. He's got that gunslinger in him. He's going to force the ball into some tight windows. He's going to want to throw the ball downfield. Uh, it's dangerous because a guy like that can get hot, put 300 yards and four touchdowns on your head like that. But with a defense as good as the Steelers' defense, I would probably bet on it being more like 280 yards, two interceptions in the air for Drew Locke. You're saying as good as the Pittsburgh Steelers' defense. Yes, a year ago I would say that. Yes, two years ago I would say that. And they have the potential to be that good this year, but right now they have not showed it. I bet they show it if it's Drew Locke. Yeah, it's it's, it's the worst quarterback you're going up against so far this season by a pretty good stretch. By a country mile. I mean, Josh Allen, certainly not. Derek Carr, certainly not. Joe Burrow seems to be getting on track here, and Aaron Rodgers. He stinks. So, I mean, Aaron Rodgers stinks, whatever. Yeah, it's it's not like country it's, mile. It's night and day, and that's actually a really good point that I hadn't thought of. They faced some really good quarterbacks mm-hmm. this year. Derek Carr leads the league in passing yards. Joe Burrow's some really elite offenses too. Yeah, Joe Burrow's so good. Uh, Rogers nailed on Hall of Famer, and Josh Allen is in the MVP race, obviously, and will be pretty much perennially moving forward. Uh, big thing though with Drew Locke, that gunslinger coming in, like I mentioned, there's no one to really throw the ball to in that receiving core. Uh, the trio of Cortland Sutton, Noah Fant, Noah Fant being a tight end, and Tim Patrick played an overwhelming majority of the snaps as far as the pass catchers were concerned against the Baltimore Ravens. So those three guys are really the only three guys that are going to be utilized much in that passing offense. Guys like Jerry Judy, who I think could be a star in this league. He's stuck on IR. K.J. Hamler is a very unique slot-type wide receiver, kind of Deontay Johnson-ish. He's out on IR. Yeah. Deshaun Hamilton, I know he's not exactly you know knocking on the door to be the number one or two wide receiver, but he is a fourth or fifth option that can be really unique for this offense. He is out as well. So two really big playmakers and one kind of unique player in Hamilton that are out on this Denver offense. They just don't have many options in the passing game, but the way that Denver wants to play is by running that football. And they average 121 yards on the ground, 11th in the NFL, and they have a potential two-headed monster brewing in Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon, both guys averaging over four yards a carry. Gordon averaging almost five yards a carry to this date. And Steelers fans, you will see them both almost equally. Last week against the Ravens, Javante Williams played 29 snaps. 30 snaps went to Melvin Gordon. So those two go 50-50 on the split, which means they're both going to be fresh throughout a full 60 minutes of the game, mm-hmm. and they're both being very effective, at least to this point in the season. When they've been out there, yes, I agree. When I mentioned it earlier, Javante Williams had that angry run where we, we've been applauding Najee Harris for his, ability, for his ability to carry guys along with him as he's getting more and more runs. That's exactly what Javante Williams did, and I do think that... <clears throat> Even though you have two guys available to you, Denver does in the running game, I think it, it, it's going to be somewhat of a struggle because now you have an adjusted T.J. Watt, right? You, you no longer have the guy who's coming off the injury. He should be back out there 
at full strength. So we'll see exactly how good this running back duo can be when they're going up a guy, the best defender they've seen all, all season long. And like we just said, Drew Locke is, is a country mile below the quarterbacks that the Steelers have faced so far this season. I think T.J. Watt is by far, by a country mile and a half, the best defender the Broncos have gone up all year this year. Obviously a lot more to get into as we look at Denver heading into Heinz Field. We'll do that and some episodes later this week for you. But that's going to do it for this edition of the Steelers Standard. Thank you, as always, for giving it a listen. For Jacob Brecht, I'm Tom Offerman, and we will talk to you guys next time on the Steelers Standard.